A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast and Happy New Year. I'm joined once again for this show by Jordan Weimer and Tom Bodell and gents, two games under the new man, Chisco Manuf, and two rather different performances against two top six teams. The first, a 1-0 victory against Norwich, very, very good. And then today, after a good start, it finished 2-1 to Swansea in the end. Mm, not as good, but uh, we'll get into it. What do we think went wrong today? Uh, let's start with Tom. Tom, uh, what do you reckon? How did, how did today go for you and um, how do you think they could have done? It was frustrating, wasn't it? And last week when we spoke on Boxing Day, I, I said, it's uh, amazing how a result can kind of colour the view of a game and the positivity generated by beating the side top of the league 1-0 kind of papered over the, any cracks in the performance whereas today I think all the cracks were laid bare because we were ultimately beaten didn't start too badly and didn't finish too badly but uh, that middle period going, wasn't it that whole middle it, section was pretty yeah, poor yeah exactly that you know after going 1-0 up um, and, and the, the timing of their goal just before half time it really you know the response to that was all pretty poor and by the time we started playing again. They were two and up, and we were we were chasing the game. And you know, it wasn't like we carved out any guilt-edged opportunities at that stage, was it? I don't think we could really have any complaints about the result. Yeah, I think as Tom's touching on there, just in, in regards to the performance against Norwich, I think if you look at the two performances, and I don't think they're actually that far apart in some mm. respects. I think it's kind of as much as the the results are probably the opposite. I think we saw a lot of similar things. I think today maybe some of the the poorer aspects of our game were compounded a little bit by poor individual performances. But I think we saw, I think we saw some similarities between the two. So I think either result could have gone in in different in different directions. Um, I think today we were just beaten by a better team. I think Swansea were much more cohesive in kind of every area of the pitch. I just didn't think we really did enough to to, to threaten them throughout the game. So I, I think it's a fair result. I think it's unfortunate. I think maybe this game came a little bit too soon for us if we had a little bit more time with uh, players coming back and maybe had Minos had a little bit, more, little bit more time just to kind of get that organisation and get his ideas across. He might have seen something better, but it looked like a, a performance of a team that still has a hangover from not, not so much the previous manager, just from a, a string of poor poor performances and I think maybe that result against Norwich didn't quite kick us on the way we wanted uh, but I don't think it's completely unexpected Guys Chisco made just one change from that last fixture and, and that was Chalaber in for Capu after Etienne Capu completed a permanent move to Villarreal midweek and it's a change we thought Chisco might make after we discussed Capu's likely exit last episode and with uh, Chalaber coming in how did you how did you think he did for you and, and was that one change to the first 11 the right decision? How did he do? probably going to be the burning question between now and the end of the season in every game uh, or or any game where he is evidently the kind of designated d- defensive midfielder of the two. I thought in a defensive sense he probably didn't do too badly but there were the same kind of problems that we've seen throughout the season uh, in, t- in terms of his distribution kind of either limited or lax or sloppy whatever it may be in any given instance he's he's it's it's always hard to you know it's always harsh I guess to compare 
players uh, on on things that might not be their strength. And when you know Kapu, as we know, has such an excellent range of passing, anyone's probably going to come up short compared to him in our in our current uh, squad. But you know, it is quite stark when you look at Chalaba. There was one, I think it was the first one I noticed in the first half where he sort of swept it out to his left hand side, and it was just too long for the whoever it was he was intending for. And so whoever it was who was ahead of that player to drop back and collect it, and he'd kind of lose the momentum. And it's you know we didn't lose the possession in that instance, but mm. it's you know as I say that momentum is lost and and what have you. And I don't think I don't think he did brilliantly. I don't think he did appallingly either. It was probably what we've come to expect of Chalabar in uh, in the Championship and, and in recent times. Yeah. Jordan, was that just the one change? Was that the right feeling for you? Because, you know, the, to be honest, who else could he have made the changes for? Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I think it's fair. I think when you look at the, the players we had available, he's obviously forced into not making too many changes. There wasn't the, the depth in the, on the bench we'd have hoped for, especially in attacking areas. Uh, I get the impression just in the substitutes that were made today, I get the impression that Will Hughes isn't fit um, at the level that he needs to be to, to play a significant portion of the game. So we were a little bit hamstrung in that sense. Um, in, in terms of Chabber in particular, I think... I think it's a little bit difficult when you're talking about Chaba because he's being asked to fill a role which is very difficult for him to fill. I mean, Kapu's often labelled as, as a defensive midfielder, but he's much he's much more than that. Obviously, his defensive numbers are extremely impressive and he's been consistent in that area when he's played, but he offers a lot going both ways and I think it's very difficult to replicate that sort of that sort of output from a player. So Chaba's kind of fighting a losing battle already, but I, I do think we saw the limitations of, of our midfield uh, quite strongly today. I think what was cleverly obviously scored a goal and he, he put himself about as he does. Just the, the, the possession that we have and the way that we use the ball and when we have that possession in midfield, it's, it's very laboured. Um, even if we play with a little bit more intensity, we just don't quite look for them passes uh, into our forwards. When, when you're playing a front two, you have that option and we, you should have that option. And I noted during the game that I took in this, the last quarter or so of the game before we actually had a decent ball into Troydini's feet. And that came from Ben Wilmot and then later on from Adam Mastner. It just took too long um, for that to happen. And it, we just didn't see enough of that cohesion. So I think when it comes to changes, we were, as I said, we were, we were hamstrung a little bit, but there just wasn't quite enough out there to, uh, to make that difference. Yeah, Watford's bench looked a little short of experience compared to Swansea's with players like Sam Dolby included. And, you know, that's his first appearance on the bench for the ones in the league. And with, with the injury hit squad that Watford have, it's certainly having an impact on games. And uh, I suppose, you know, up front in particular today in this game, Watford didn't have really the options to, to make the changes. And, and therefore, it's probably not a surprise that there was any changes made up front when maybe on another day they, they would have been made some, definitely in the second half, you feel. Yeah, I mean, Perich would have been the obvious choice uh, and I think he would have been a fairly obvious choice to start had he been available too. So uh, not having them options, it, it, it's going to hurt you later in games when you need to change things and having the ability to freshen things up obviously is always a, is a, can be a key to the game. So yeah, I mean, as soon as you saw that bench, we knew that it was going to be it could be an issue for us. You kind of hope that maybe that early goal was exactly what we needed. I think that maybe maybe it made, made us lean into the slightly defensive sitting back style of play. I think we maybe felt like we had to kind of close up a little bit earlier than maybe if we had a bit more depth on the bench perhaps. But yeah, it's it's extremely difficult. And hopefully if we get the players back, and I think a lot of them players that will be back and hopefully on that bench will be starting in, recent, in, in weeks coming up as well. So I think if we're really to see Munoz push, push on, I would expect that starting eleven to look quite different, um, and as well as that bench. Yeah, indeed. Well, let's talk about that early goal because it was a, a real thunder strike, wasn't it? From from your namesake, Tom, Mister Tom Cleverly. Yeah, I, the funny thing about the championship, coming back down to the championship, is we've seen a lot of players that maybe hadn't become key players, or you know, had kind of fallen away in terms of importance in the Premier League, uh, reassert themselves or come back into the fold in the in the shape of Ken Semmer being one of them, which has been quite enjoyable and and Tom Cleverley's been another one I don't I was going to say I was going to add to the midfield discussion that two of Chalabar and Cleverley just feels quite championshipy doesn't it which is a very mm. um analytical kind of thing to say but I know I what think, you mean though yeah. yeah that's it I think you can understand what I mean that said I do like Tom Cleverley and, and earlier in the season I quite liked him um in the three when he was the one that was kind of going beyond and and, and pushing up of the of of the three, uh, particularly in the Luton game, I think it was noticeable he was kind of trying to go beyond and get in the box and support the forwards. And I quite like that, but uh, yeah, no, a lovely goal. But what I thought that highlighted at that moment was 
that we just we basically hadn't created a hell of a lot and an awful lot and it just required someone to have a shot there was a lot of possession in and around the penalty area but it was lacking someone just having a swing it and I'm not advocating just you know shooting on sight that mm. is largely proven to be wasteful but um in in the event it was a it was a cracking hit yeah, other than a, a, a fantastic Jao Pedro effort earlier in the season, I can't remember too many strikes from outside the box from Watford this season. It's certainly not many that have gone in anyway, so good to see Cleverly trying that and, and, and good to see it was successful as well. But then Swansea came back into it and, and to be fair, once they got back into the game, they never really let go of it. They, they, were, they were a great challenge and um, they didn't really seem too phased actually by going a goal down and they, they kept battling they made Foster work a couple of times before eventually Jamal Lowe finally equalised for the home side and just before half time as well I, I don't like to give challengers too much credit but to, to be fair it was a lovely little placed effort from Lowe not a lot Foster could have done about it and uh, that timing as well was just perfect for Swansea because it meant they could regroup and then come back out in the second half feeling refreshed Guys, do you think that the, the, the timing in particular was, didn't really help Watford in that one? I'm sure it didn't help at all. I mean, I, I would imagine that whilst we got a confidence boost in the last game, it's probably somewhat somewhat fragile still. Um, I think if you go behind at that time, of course, it's going to be difficult to, to go into the dressing room. You've got that break. You can't instantly come back on the pitch. You've got, you've got to have that time off. And it's just hard to kind of sit there and think about it for the 15-minute break as well. So, yeah, it's bad. But I think what you touched on there is, is completely right. Swansea never looked like they were they were too concerned being one nil down. They kept, they kept to their plan and they continued on throughout the game. And yeah, I mean they're just a very they're a very good footballing team. I think they'll be I think they'll be cha- up there challenging the playoff spots, and, and they'll be around that kind of top two area as, as well, most likely because they are they are a well drilled team, and you can tell there's a comfort within their style of play. They all kind of understand their jobs, and you can see there's just that cohesion that is very very different to what we have at this point um, ourselves. So I think I think that was uh, quite evident, and yeah, I mean it was a, it was a huge time uh, for them to score, and it was. Def- obviously a turning point in the game but I think momentum really shifted from then on and we really struggled to get it back from there on On a personal note it was quite nice for me to see Lowe uh, do do well because he was one of those guys that I used to watch when I went along to see Hemel Hempstead uh, play when I was covering them and also St Albans earlier on uh, around about 2015-ish time uh, mm. so it's nice to see that, that players can progress unfortunately it was uh, not nice to see him progress against Watford so uh, That's really scratching around for consolation isn't it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was struggling there. I was struggling. Well, when I when I um when I when I sort of uh, did my pre-match for this game, I uh I I was looking into it. I was thinking, oh yeah, I remember watching. He was a good player. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, he's clearly uh he played well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's done very very well. He's done very very well. Um, at halftime, uh, Chisco made a substitution, and uh, it was Messina on for Ngakia. He made the same sub last match, but uh, this time a lot earlier. It seems pretty obvious that he wants him back playing as a starter as soon as possible. And even though, to be fair to Ngakia, he didn't really do a lot long in that in that first half. It it really felt like it was it was more comfortable for for, for Watford on that left side of of the pitch, despite the fact that the Messina was playing in in the second half when Watford, you know, it had had the worst of it to be honest. I think Ngakia maybe maybe found it a little bit difficult at times. I think they kind of they put him under pressure quite a lot on the ball, and he was maybe finding it a little bit difficult. I think adding that adding Massenden back in there just does give you a little bit more balance. I, I think Kiko's probably shown that he's maybe more comfortable on the left hand side than than Ngakia, but I think again we we saw that that Shishko wanted to wanted to keep Femenu on the right hand side. He felt they kind of he works well with Saar and. It didn't quite come off today as we'd hoped, but yeah, I think once Massena comes back in, you'd hope that we'd maybe have a little bit more balance down that left-hand side too. And I think we had a bit more joy than left from Sema. He was able to get forward a fair bit, but it, we, we struggled down the flanks today. I, I thought I thought Ryan Manning did a good job for for Swansea yeah. on the on their left-hand side, and he kept Saar very deep. And while Saar did work extremely hard, and it was it's good to see you didn't really get him in the in those areas. And yeah, I think that's kind of the performance you expect from Ryan Manning. He's he's a player that a lot of the fans uh, at Watford wanted to wanted us to be looking at and you can kind of see why and I think we kind of lost the, the battle on the wide areas today and it was an, an area we, we relied on when we were creating our attacks so we, we struggled from there I think Yes, once he came out the stronger of the two sides in the second half, they put Watford under a lot of pressure from the off. They had the goal ruled out for offside in the 52nd minute. I think actually it was a it was a well taken goal and it wasn't offside, but it was Ayu who was in front of Foster, I think, who was deemed to be interfering with play, and that's why it was ruled offside. But um, 
15 minutes later, they, they got a legitimate goal and, and it was Jamal Lowe again. And another header. This time it was it was onside and, and Watford, it wasn't really until that point when they woke up a little bit, Jim, uh, Jordan. Yeah, we woke up and the intensity was a little bit better. I thought I thought probably our best spell of the game in terms of intensity wise was just after after our goal. I thought we looked pretty good and we were pretty aggressive, and uh, we looked pretty upbeat. And yeah, as you say, we we started to kind of get a bit of a better hang of the game by the end of it, and we were starting to control the game a little bit more. But a lot of that had to do with Swansea that we were quite happy to drop off and sit back. Um, as they they we've seen them do that previously uh, this season they're quite comfortable off the ball uh, even though they can be very proficient on the ball so we had the extra bit of possession but I, I thought you maybe went a bit too early uh, to, to just crossing the ball in uh, looking for that that early cross in from our fullbacks I think maybe we just could have been a little bit more patient but at the same time we didn't really have the personnel on the pitch to to be in there and probing and pulling players around it was it, it was very one dimensional. Um, and we didn't have much success once we did get the ball into the box. I thought Troy was unable to to win those aerial duels that we needed, and there was no one really in the position to to capitalise anything that fell in the box either. So I, I think we just looked a bit lost. I, I don't think we were particularly threatening in that in that period of the uh, of the game. And it's yeah, it's a bit of a shame. It's frustrating to watch. Tom. Yeah, it wasn't like we kind of laid siege to their goal by any means. I think we just sort of we wrestled the momentum back. Um, at two one down, but you know, apart from Troy Deeney had a sort of volley, side footed volley that went over, and did he have another one that he kind of yeah, s- another spun. quite a hash sort of yeah, that's it, sort of spun out on the spot and got blocked. But you know, we didn't create any particularly good chances, and that has been a a criticism that you could level at this team all season, I think, hasn't it? We, I said, I can't remember which episode it was. Now I've spoken to you guys a lot recently, but said you know it feels like we've we've scored a lot of kind of wonder goals or or, or freak goals mm. or, or whatever. Um, and, and this was another game where, you know, it didn't really look like we were, we were going to score for for long periods. And, and, and certainly at 2-1 down, although there was an improvement, it was not, um, you know, it, was not, it wasn't a huge kind of uh, step up. And I think uh, although the, the forward two will probably get a bit of a, a, bit of a battering and uh, Tommy Mooney was talking in commentary about how Troy Deeney was kind of Dropping quite deep and sitting on um, on Matt Grimes to try and you know stop him doing what he does. He's good ball playing central midfield. Someone we were linked with actually in the summer, wasn't he, Matt Grimes? Um, but you know, I don't, again, I find it quite hard to batter Gray or Deeney when the midfield just wasn't really creating an awful lot. And when Jordan says that Ryan Manning did a good job on on the on their left, our right, he's, he's absolutely correct because. You know, Shamila Saar, I think, had two chances in quite quick succession about the hour marked in the end. Again, Tommy Mooney noted it in commentary um, that, you know, those are the balls you want to be playing, getting them in behind because they're playing a back five, getting behind the wing back where there isn't, um, you know, conventional fullback. We did it twice and I think that was probably it. And we, we know he is our most dangerous weapon and, and more so probably when he's in tandem um, with, with Kiko and, you know, a lot of the play went down the right-hand side, but it just got, you know, it got mm. it got held up, broken up, whatever, and it was, um, you know, it was just a stodgy kind of performance, wasn't it? It seemed to me like the team was lacking a bit of creativity, and hopefully they've already made a uh, an effort to get that creativity in. Uh, we talked earlier mm. about Kapu heading out of the door, but heading in another door was uh, the the new signing, Danish winger Philip Zinkenangel, who uh, who I love just because of his name. What a fantastic name, Zinkenangel. I mean, I think that the guys in the in the 1881 uh, will probably have uh, have fun trying to think of uh, some songs to sing on the terraces when <laughs> when we eventually return to the terraces that uh, that that can that can emulate uh, Zinkenangel's name. Uh, they might go with Philip uh, potentially, just it. But uh, uh, well, I mean, Jordan, you, I know that you've had a, a good look at this guy. Tell us uh, about him. Tell us w- what he can add to to, to the Watford to Watford side. I think he has a different dimension in terms of winger and attacking player. He's a he's a technical a technical player. He's got a good good burst to him. He's, he's good acceleration. He can be extremely tricky down the right hand side, and he drifts inside into his left. He's pretty pretty comfortable on his left foot, but predominantly right footed. Uh, he can operate from the left hand side too. Uh, can play off the striker. He's pretty versatile in that sense. He can take set pieces. 
he did score a direct free kick last season. It wasn't the best free kick. It was maybe a bit Hooray! of a mishap from the goalkeeper. But yeah, he, he can he can get them on target. And I say his delivery overall is more consistent than what we've seen from set pieces as well. So I'd imagine that he'd be on them when he's on the pitch. But I think he just adds, I say, uh, a different different style of, of winger. Um, I think Sara and Semmer have some similarities in how they play. I think maybe both are a little bit quick to cross. Um, I'd probably say one of my complaints, they maybe get the ball in a little bit too early at times or, or not so much too early, but they maybe look for a cross ahead of attacking their, their fullback and actually kind of driving into the box. I think Zinconegla is maybe a little bit more comfortable at running at players and trying to get into the box to create his chances. Um, obviously, he's extremely productive. His, his goal tally and assist tally was, was very, very good, um, which is obviously nice to add. It's, it's a change in to change in the quality of league it's going to be a step up for him so I wouldn't put too much pressure on him to replicate those figures um, directly but I think for me I think if you look in that market it's a good market for us to look at we've seen uh, sides like Brentford have been operating in those kind of Nordic Scandinavian countries to to bring in players and I think you get a, I think a lot of the time it's a generalisation but you get pretty coachable um, tactically adept players um, that, that can come in so when they have the, the numbers and the, the ability to back it up then you can feel pretty good in those sort of deals especially when it's a, a free as, as uh, Zinkenegel is so I think all round it's a pretty positive move and uh, we can feel pretty good on that one yeah, when I saw the signing, um, initially I thought, okay, winger, winger. I mean, we've got Saar, who is obviously possibly the greatest winger in the championship. Uh, I know he's not been showing it on a consistent level, but he's supposed to be the greatest winger that we that in the championship at the minute. And Semmer has obviously been playing very, very well this season as well. So I thought, okay, that's it's good competition. But then I think the most interesting thing for me was when I saw what number he was given. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but for me, you don't give a player the number seven shirt if he's only going to play a bit part role. I feel like the club really value this guy and they intend to get him playing pretty much from the off. Yeah, I wouldn't underestimate his. I wouldn't underestimate him at all. I think, as I said, you, you've got to see how how he tra- how he transitions into the league. I think he needs to. Be, he's going to need a bit of time. But I think you can have a lot of confidence that he's going to he's going to apply himself in the right manner, and he's got a skill set which which suits the team. I think. Just going back uh, to, to how we were playing today, I think uh, we, we really lacked that incisiveness, um, not just on the ball, but even just the aggressiveness, to, the aggression you want to see running with the ball and attacking players. As I touched on, we sometimes don't see enough of from from Semmer and Saar there. I think especially when we started getting to that, that phase where we had possession, we just put in balls into the box. You need that different avenue of attack. Uh, I think we missed even someone like Domingos Quina we saw against Bristol City when we were in a similar situation away from home. He comes on the pitch and suddenly he starts carrying the ball inside and, and creating some different angles and things open up a little bit. I think someone like Zinkanego just gives us that that other option. Um, and I mean, I think we're also very light in the wing position. So you want to have players that can come in and they can push the start and we're going to have to have rotation so if you can if you can have a bit of a, a starter by committee process going on, then that's absolutely fine for us. So I think when you look at the value and you look at the the, the history of the player, then you you've got to be pretty confident that you've got some uh, some good value there. And I think there's no reason why he couldn't be a, a starter for us in the future. Tom, what do you think of Zinkenegel? I must admit, I've not done the research that Jordan's done. Um, I'm I find it an interesting signing for two reasons. One. I wouldn't have put winger down as a position that we were in dire need of uh, bodies. However, the overarching point that we need to be more creative and be more kind of ruthless and, and decisive in the final third is that is absolutely fair one to make. Um, you know, for all the ability that uh, João Pedro, Ishmael Assar clearly have, you know, they aren't, they aren't tearing the championship apart, are they? They're, they're, they're doing well, but they're not tearing the championship apart. Uh, Ken Semmer has obviously done very well, but I think he's quite a different type of winger. I don't see him being someone that really runs at people for fun and, and, and gets in behind. Um, so, you know, hopefully Zinkenegel will, will bring something different and, and, and add to an area that we need to clearly need to improve in. And the other reason I found it quite interesting is because the Pozzo, during the Pozzo era, recruitment tends to be from uh you kind of your major european leagues doesn't it and probably people will probably tweet you now with a flood of examples that disprove this theory but in my <laughs> head we uh, we do tend we obviously tend to recruit a lot of players from italy but you know we've got a lot of players out of spain when we had the association with granada and and, and france and what have you and so to go to um you know a, a scandinavian league um and and sign someone who isn't kind of known necessarily to the pozzo 
network, perhaps as well as he, as um, as a lot of our other signings have been, was uh, was quite interesting to me. But uh, certainly his his figures make for quite um, quite quite encouraging reading and, and everything. All the digging that Jordan's done, if people haven't seen that on his Twitter feeds, makes uh, makes really interesting reading. So hopefully. We've, uh, we've we've got a bit of a Pozzo gem there and, and, and beating others to the punch. I think also you can look at you can look at this signing as perhaps a, a shift of uh, of focus in terms of recruitment in general for us. I think we've yeah. we've been doing some extra work in, in in our recruitment team. I know we've added a few over the summer and we've had a, a little bit of a shift uh, in how we we're going to be approaching things, especially from a from a data perspective. That's definitely something we're going to be looking at more. And when you look at someone like Zinkenegel, obviously his his important figures are pretty stand out. They're pretty clear for everyone to see. But I think we're operating in markets now. Where we're trying to find value in in areas we haven't looked in before. We've had some success with how we've operated previously with our with our scouting department. Um, but I think now we're kind of looking at other areas. And we're going to have to be anyway with the with Brexit and other situations going on. It, it, it means that we have to be a little bit more creative. Um, I think also too we're maybe learning a little bit from others. As I as I touched on earlier, Brentford have had a lot of success in this area, and, and I mean they're often a, a team that's taught about when it comes to recruitment especially in the championship um, so I think it's pretty positive that we're looking in that area uh, I, I think it, it just gives us it just gives us a broader platform to work off in terms of uh, bringing players in and as I said earlier too I think often you get a you get some coachable players from from uh, from the Scandinavian countries, and I think maybe if we're looking to perhaps change and a little bit of the mentality of the squad, adding them sort of personalities also isn't a negative either. Uh, so I think this is a pretty well researched transfer by by our recruitment team, and hopefully it pans out as, as well as it could do. Absolutely. Welcome, Philip Zinkenengel. So that's one addition through the door already in this January transfer window. And January's only really begun, hasn't it? But we, we know the club wants to add more. But what sort of positions do we think they should be looking at? Or at least what sort of positions, in our opinion, do we think they should be looking at? Because I'm sure the club will, might have a different uh, opinion to us. But what, what do we think? On Tom, you sort of uh, started to talk about this earlier. What, what positions sure. do you think they should, they should be looking at? So... Having said that I wouldn't batter Andre Gray and, and Troy Deeney off the back of today's performance, I do think, funnily enough, striker is an area that, or the forwards is an area where we should be um, applying a little bit of scrutiny. I don't, you know, I'm not convinced that that's Joao Pedro's favoured position. He hasn't yet been available to uh, Chisco Manoz, so it'll be interesting to see where, where he wants to play him. Um, but you know, in the summer we were, you know, we had more strikers than we knew what to do. With another game where Glenn Murray's not even in the squad, you have to assume if he hasn't gone back to Brighton already, he will do. Um, so I wonder if that's an area that needs some some attention. However, I am confident that given what we discussed a couple of episodes ago, uh, the the Duxbury quotes on Deeney that Deeney will be, if not leading the search for his own replacement, uh, advising against replacing himself, given his apparent standing at the club. So I, I highly doubt that we'll, we'll be signing any forwards. So if we're being realistic, I think the two areas, and I'd be surprised if Jordan disagreed with this, would be uh, an Etienne Capou replacement or someone who is close to what Capou does. Jordan used the term unicorn to describe him in a, a Twitter exchange we had in the week, and I thought that's quite apt. Um, and then and then left back, which we've we've known about for a long time. Even with Adam Messina back, um, you know he's the only out and out senior left back at the club. And if Kiko leaves this month, which it seems plausible he might, um, Adam Leventhal's piece in the week suggested that he could be open to leaving. Still, fair enough. Then we definitely need cover there. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. I think uh, when, it, when we talk about the strikers, I think there's maybe a little bit more more flexibility there now. We've got a, a, a coach in that's looking to play two up front. Yeah. Perhaps that opens things up a little bit. Uh, but then again, you still you still got to have you have to get rid of someone before we bring in someone in that position. I feel pretty pretty confident on that, and, I, and that doesn't mean Glenn Murray either. I think you'd have to be seeing most likely Andre Gray uh, depart, which I think would be a very difficult bit of business for us to get through. Uh, I can't imagine there's a ton of suitors uh, that, that are looking for looking for that sort of profile. And <laughs> you mean the sort of picking... profile of a, a striker that can't score goals? It's, it's... I wonder what uh, I wonder what teams are out there looking for that kind of. It's uh, under, it, yeah, it's, it's not it's not the most conducive. No, so it's yeah, it, he's a very difficult one to move on. I think we're kind of stuck with Gray for the, for the rest of the season at the very least. So yeah, I think you are kind of looking at that um, that centre midfield and and left back position uh, with the possibility of the right back. But I, th- I think you, you're looking at maybe two different types of uh, 
types of player when you're looking at the centre mid and the left back I think centre mid you, you need to be looking for someone that's potentially coming in to start um, someone that can mm-hmm. contribute early on uh, obviously you want ideally good value good age but it, it's someone that we can maybe need to invest a little bit of money in and, uh, and, and find a target or it's possible we'll look at a potential loan option again and try and fill the void and, and cover the gap where we can until we have the opportunity to, to replace them with a long term um, target in the summer although Adam Leventhal has, has, has talked and has spoken about this position as, as if we might be investing into a, a starting player so we'll have to see on that one and then for left back I think probably if we're being sensible the best bet would be to maybe bring in someone uh, maybe that be a developmental player or perhaps a, a veteran that we can get into to cover that position and not necessarily be a starter it really just depends what's available and how comfortable we are with investing money in 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 those areas uh, but they're definitely two positions that i think need to be addressed if we're going to have a chance of uh, of pushing for, for promotion through playoffs most likely if you was going to put a figure on on what you think the maximum Watford would be willing to spend in this in this window, do you think it would be plus or negative five million? I, I was quite surprised that um, that Leventhal said that we'd be actually willing to spend money. I, I didn't think we'd be we'd really be looking to put out any real fees. Um, if we're going to be introducing a starter into the team, you're going to have to be spending north of that. Really, um, it's possible that we can we can maybe. We can maybe come to a deal which is based on installments and perhaps it'll be a loan option to buy. There's there's different ways you can go about that, of course, but I, I don't see us spending particularly big fees, especially if we had to address multiple positions. Um, yeah, I, I think you're probably looking at around that five million mark, um, but I, I think it really just depends on how good they feel on the player that's available. Okay. So uh, in preparation for this episode, I've asked you both to uh, prepare a few names for me. Maybe just one, but uh, who, who, however many you've got, then uh, bring them all to the table. I'm sure we can we can discuss them. Uh, who wants to go first on this one? Who's 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 eager to get their their names out there? Go on, Jordan, because yeah. I'm yeah, still watching on. clips of one of my guys <laughs> on my scout. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, so if we're talking about that midfield position, uh, I think one player that I've I've liked for a little while, and he's. He's had a very good season. He's, he's looking pretty pretty comfortable in, at his level and probably ready to make the step up is Ben Whiteman from, from League, oh, from League One at Doncaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like Tom might have identified him as well. He was um, my centre mid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's, he's it's just a touch on him. He's, he's a, a good a good ball player midfielder. He, he gets the ball forward very nicely. He consistently progresses the ball. He's he's confident in his uh, in his possession. He's he's not doesn't shy away from the ball at all. He's decent defensively too. Uh, he doesn't quite offer you that same that same dominance in both attack and defence that Kapu does. But I think he does a good job of of being a player that can sit a little bit deeper, but still gives you that opportunity to progress the ball. Especially if we're in the in midfield too, he can look forward and he can play that ball into the striker and he can help you just kind of retain that possession. Um, especially if he's alongside someone like Will Hughes, I think he'd be complemented pretty well. And I think he also suits a midfield three too. So I think you've got some nice versatility there. He's a good age, 24 years old. And I think he'd be available for a decent fee. Um, and to me, he's a player that looks ready to, to make the step up. Um, so that would be someone I'd be looking at, especially we're also looking domestically in this window. I think it'd be quite smart to look domestically. Um, someone that can come in quickly uh, and be a part of the team and not have to worry about the other factors that are going on. So I think that would be a name that I'd be pretty confident in us uh, in us if we if we brought him in. Um, yeah, that would be my suggestion in central midfield. Okay. Uh, Tom, do you have a, a suggestion for midfield? Yeah, well, is it the, is it the same like, suggestion? That yeah, just... so so here's the thing. I had been in the week. Um, I'd been tweeting about people that could potentially, you know, replace Kapoor and and how hard a job it was. Kind of carrying on from our discussion on the the previous pod. And one of the tools we have at work, Plug Alert, is uh, is a thing called Discover within our within the content tool, the twenty three content toolbox, and it. What I'd done was look at the kind of uh, plug in the kind of the the attributes that I thought we were looking to replace and then look in leagues where we tend to recruit from and so on. And one of the people that had come up uh, when I looked in the Championship League One and League Two for central midfielders with uh, a high number of tackles, interceptions, forward passes, completed passes, one of the the highest the players that came up highest on that list was Ben Whiteman. Um, actually, the other one that I that came up quite highly that I haven't really watched any of, but I saw some uh, a couple of little interesting visits of his passing was Jack Powell at Crawley. He's 26. He's come 
out of non-league, uh, played played in the national league for a, a few clubs, uh, Dagenham Redbridge. And mm. Yes, Stone, I, I, I remember him. Yeah, among them, that's it. So you may well have seen now. Obvious, clearly, we're not going to sign him. You know, a player that's not long played in the football league. But I just thought he's interesting, and there were some excellent uh, visualizations tweeted by a Newport County account. Uh, just kind of the the each. Um, Crawley Town players attempted and completed passes over a, a six-game period, and it was really interesting that he was probably the most heavily involved and from a sort of very Kapoor-like position, sort of spreading the play, uh, you know, quite wide uh, down the down the right, down the left. So I thought he was quite interesting. I say highly unlikely, but Ben Ben Whiteman seems like a good one uh, for me. The, the thing I think with, with this discussion is it's. It's almost like, uh, who do you want to be the next Watford manager? Whoever we come up with, they're going <laughs> to find somebody completely, you know. You're right. We're yeah, unlikely yeah. to have, or certainly I'm unlikely to have, it'll be another Zinkenagel or, or, or equivalent, won't it? But, yeah. Although um, we, thought, are in a, we are in a period of time where we, we are going to be pushed in towards buying domestically more than we have been previously. So true, though, it yeah. does limit the pool of players. Before, it's such a broad, such a wide range of leagues we could possibly pull from. I think you can be, we, I think we can be a little bit safer in maybe looking domestically now so yeah I think maybe we've got a better chance than we have previously although Zinkenagel is, is one that was maybe hard to, to necessarily predict beforehand mm-hmm. but do you have a left back on do yeah, you have a left back in, in mind or yeah so the, the, the left back that I came up with same process putting in uh, although I went a little bit younger for this because I thought it's probably someone that's going to be deputising for Messina as much it's going to be the I same went. as mine <laughs> oh is it uh, I, I'm going to probably slaughter his surname here but Teo Eden, Eden, uh, Lincoln City, am I right? Okay, that's not that's not my one. Not so, yeah, carry on. Oh, okay. Who? <laughs> that's oh. interesting. Football so snap. He, he, we didn't get it this time. <laughs> that would have been good if we were synchronised two for two. So I must admit, I was I was doing this just straight off the game. I was I was putting this in and what have you, and just what I was watching some clips of him uh, as I said a minute ago on Y Scout and he. The reason he flagged up, quite apart from his age and playing in League One, was uh, d- decent defensive numbers in terms of interceptions and tackles won, but also a quite high number of forward passes, reasonable number of crosses uh, and, and chances created. And just watching him, he seems like a pretty intelligent player when he gets in the final third, but work on the basis that we want our fullbacks to get forward as, as they currently do. Certainly, um, you know, Kiko gets forward an awful lot um, you know makes chances and I was just watching some of his kind of you know 1v1 defending clips and he looks like a reasonable 1v1 defender so I must admit I've never watched him for 90 minutes it was purely diving into the numbers and then seeing if he looked passable uh, in highlights but that would be my suggestion also can play a little bit further forward and Jordan, who's your left back? Yeah, I was looking at Harry Pickering from uh, from Crew. Uh, he's a, he's a, someone I've managed to see a few times myself live actually, and he's 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 always been impressive. Um, he's, he's he's really been backing up, up that that idea this year with his his numbers in uh, in League One. He's just been very comfortable in in that left back position. He gets forward really really well. He's a good defender, but he he plays in a he plays in a very Munoz style. I'd say he likes to do he likes to underlap his winger. He likes to get balls into the box and then. Play, play them angled balls forward. He can slide in the striker, and he's just got a nice range of passing. I think he's a well, well balanced left back, and he's 22 years old. He's a good age. Um, he just fits the mould really. He's a bit of a, a bit like Messina in a way. He's a slightly taller, slightly longer left back, um, but he's he looks very fluid moving. He's not he's not awkward. He's not gangling. He, he's just been pretty productive. So yeah, he's a, he's a name I like. I also had a little bit of a another idea in um, someone that's a bit more versatile that could possibly help out in both positions would be uh, Joe Pritchard from Acton Stanley he's a 24 year old centre midfielder left midfielder left back uh, he's played a little bit right back too he's just a nice versatile um, midfielder he's a little bit smaller he's 5 foot 9 but he's someone that can play in multiple positions and give you that cover uh, 24 years old is a good age again as well and he's actually from Watford too so that would be maybe something he can get some good value out of there um, he's had quite a good season this season there's possibly someone that could give us a little bit of cover if we were maybe looking for more of a depth signing in those positions than necessarily uh, a starter coming in Okay, cool. Good stuff. So we've got some good names there. Um, I suspected that uh, neither of you would pick a striker. So I looked into the strikers and uh, I've only got one name for you. Uh, I've also gone to Crawley Town, funnily enough, Tom. Uh, Max Uh, Waters, uh, who I think could be uh, a good choice. He's quite young. He's only 21. 
he's not the he's not the tallest of players, but he he likes to get the ball down. He's he's scored plenty of goals already this season for Crawley. I know it's League Two, but he's scored thirteen in fifteen, which is a, a very good record. Um, and uh, he just looks like he's ready to make the step up. Maybe it's Championship two. Too, too many steps up for him. I don't know. I reckon he could certainly come into the squad and, and, you know, get a few substitution appearances and maybe work his way into the team. But I imagine, uh, you know, a striker of that age, even for someone like Crawley, would probably demand a few million. And um, I, I don't know if Watford would be prepared to part with that, but um, that would be my suggestion. And well, Actually, uh, we, we've yeah. been linked to them, haven't we, earlier in the season? Yeah, we have. Yeah. I've never seen him kick a ball. I mean, if you're going to bring a striker in to make a step up, I mean, you could you could do it in in worse situations. I mean, you play with a front two, it gives you a little bit more freedom for him to to you know make mistakes and and try things a little bit differently. So I think it's probably a good a good opportunity to bring a striker in if we if we try to have that sort of project. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a goal scorer, so you can't you can't necessarily you can't turn that way very often so I think as you say he's not he's not maybe the, the most physical the biggest player but he does offer you something in terms of his finishing ability so I think it'd be a good option for sure and the other striker I've gone for is uh, a cheat really because uh, it, he's not a new signing because he's already a player at Watford uh, Isaac success I wonder if maybe this could be his season <laughs> to really establish himself um, I know some people would argue that he's more of a winger, but I, I, I've seen him play up front um, for, for Granada. And, and he, you know, he, there was a point in time when this guy was, you know, really tipped to, to, to be the next best big, big thing. And it's not a surprise that Watford wanted to make sure they brought him over from Granada before the sale went through. And, and things just haven't worked out for him yet. But maybe this could be his reprieve, his, his chance to, 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 you know, to sort of make that, that step. What do you reckon? I think it's a good opportunity for him. I mean, I've mentioned on Twitter, I, I think for me, his best spell as a Watford player was under Javi Grassier. He had that, maybe it was a six or seven game spell where he was playing up front and he had a few times, he played with uh, Gerard Delefeu as a front two a couple of times and he just looked like he'd turned the corner for a little bit. His hold up play looked better, his passing looked better. He just looked a much more well-rounded, more mature footballer. Um, it dropped off a little bit from there and he struggled to get back in the team and obviously had injuries and torn Achilles is a really, really difficult injury to come back from. So hopefully he's, he's made a full recovery and he can play at the same, at the same level in terms of uh, physical ability. But I, I think he could offer us something. He's, he's still got a rawness to his game, of course, when it comes to finishing. Um, but it's an opportunity. And I think if you, if you're looking at how he can maybe move the squad around and, and try and give us the best opportunity to get that squad as complete as possible, I'm sure the ownership's probably thinking that, um, that he's definitely an option from there. And they'll probably look internally at someone like success rather than going into the market to try and find uh, another option. So I think it's pretty likely he's going to get an opportunity. Um, and I'm not opposed to it at all, actually. I, I, I think he's become a bit of a meme, isn't he, within within Watford Twitter and stuff. But he's he's someone that he, he look. I feel more comfortable with Isaac's success in the squad than I do Andre Gray at the moment. And Andre Gray is starting you know, the last few games, so I'm not opposed to having success involved. Um, okay, so any more names, or have we have we have exhausted the list of who we think we we potentially go for this season? They're probably, they're the names I picked out in particular for this one. Um, I think just looking at as, as Tom did touch on, even though we kind of have a better idea of, of where we could be going uh, in terms of markets, I think it's still pretty difficult to predict. Um, and it also really depends on how the club want to approach it. And, and we've done our best job to kind of identify what we think they'll be going for in terms of where the player's currently at in their career and where they're playing now and, and age profile, all these factors. So it just depends on what we feel comfortable with. And it's been really difficult to predict um, how we're going to operate this one, I think. There were a couple of names we were linked with in the summer. We were being linked quite heavily with midfielders, weren't we? Uh, one of whom was Matt Grimes, who we played, uh, who played against us today for Swansea, who I think more of a kind of deep line playmaker in terms of style, in terms of what he does, uh, what side of Etienne Capoue's game he does, you know, best is probably the the, the passing and, and and creating things from deep rather than, than winning the ball back. Uh, but I suspect he would probably come on the expensive end of the scale wouldn't he given his relative importance to Swansea um, and then the other one that was linked with us in the, the summer quite quite a bit was um, Sam Hutchinson the former Sheffield Wednesday uh, sort of holding midfielder come right back but he's now 
uh, fixed up and he's got um, he's playing for Paphos so in, in Cyprus so I suspect that one is probably gone as well so it'll be very interesting to see but I yeah I think I think Matt Grimes is a 10 million plus player isn't he at this point it. I just can't yeah. see that being viable for us you know not that we couldn't go out and spend 10 million because I think what you said earlier is absolutely right Jordan if they'll go to the price that's required if they think he's worth that player is worth it I don't think it's a case of we have this set budget necessarily but yeah. um, you know, it negates the purpose of selling a player that was probably one of the higher earners and didn't bring in much as a direct fee. If we then go and spend, you know, several times that to replace him, right? I think convincing him too at this point. I think today wasn't yeah. the best advertisement yeah, second, uh, for that. So it's yeah, it's he's a player that I think if we if realistically we were going to sign him, it probably would have been in the summer. I think now it's going to be very difficult to do so. One other name I did think of, that if you're talking about players who've been linked to before, was uh, Oriol Busquets mm-hmm. um, at Barcelona. But I'm not sure if that's feasible now um, with current you know work permit restrictions and so on. But that was a player that we're definitely interested in who is available, especially if we were looking down like a loan, maybe potential option to buy or obligation to buy, um, who would give us a little bit of that deeper lying ball playing midfielder that can maybe offer us something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that's potential. Um, actually, just a, just going back a, a second, one name that's obviously been talked about a lot um, is Matic Vidra as well uh, in terms of a striking okay. option. I, I do wonder how feasible that could be um, as a loan option. Just wondered what you guys actually think on that one. I was speaking to somebody earlier about this and I said I would love a 2015 Matic Vidra back, but I'm not so sure if a 2020 Matic Vidra is the right signing right now. I don't know. What about you, Tom? I always, uh, I always find it quite amusing when people kind of a Watford former Watford player, popular former Watford player appears to be on the market, and and people want to bring them back. And I always, I sometimes just think, you know, we got we got to move on from this. But I tell you what, that might be quite a nice one, mightn't it? Because he's got that, you know, pacing behind. You know, he's a finisher. He's not going to miss many chances uh, with the right, you know, sort of supply line into him he could be absolutely deadly and I suspect he would just like to play some football at this stage because he's been kind of getting getting uh, splinters in his backside at Burnley for quite a while now hasn't he so I romantic in me would certainly uh, have him back in a heartbeat yeah because there is that feeling of nostalgia surrounding him obviously I mean he's he's been involved for us so heavily in some good times so you want to see him you want to see him come back and you picture him of being at that as, as you say Matt 2015 Matic Vidra but he does offer you something as a, as a, as a striker in the front too as well I think he I don't expect that he'll come back and have that same connection with Troy but I, I just think that he's a he's a goal scorer that plays in a, in a manner that we don't currently have I think if you look at the options we have available you said the closest in terms of in terms of how they operate would be Andre Gray and and they're still very far apart um, yeah. so yeah, yeah I think it would be a good option um, to add in it just depends how viable it is but it's also the reason i think it could be viable is that you you have to do very little from a from a due diligence perspective from the club you're going to feel pretty comfortable in him as a personality you, you feel pretty good about him filling in and it's one of those deals that could that could go through purely because you, it's a very known quantity um and you don't have to do too much to convince the player either i'm sure that there's a good chance that he'd be pretty happy to come back here too so it's one to keep an eye on i think at the moment it's probably very much better based upon fan, fan opinion. But if there was ever a time where a player was going to come back, I think this might be one that has a bit has some legs to it. Okay, okay good stuff. Thanks for the suggestions, Jordan and Tom. Uh, okay, a little break in the league now for Watford and they have to turn their attentions to the FA Cup. Third round, always an exciting round. And uh, it's Manchester United who we've got. It's uh, probably not the best time to play Manchester United. They're uh, currently enjoying a bit of form. But... The Cup is a different prospect to the league and, and uh, it's always a welcome one. It's a chance for Watford to get their heads down, train a bit with the new man and um, maybe try some things out against Man United in really a game that they're not expected to win and so they maybe have a bit more flexibility in what they can do. Jordan? Yeah, I think just being positive is is would be a, a really a nice feeling just to see us go into the game and look to attack and... And, and not be too too negative. I think you can still be defensive and look to counter-attack, but it's an opportunity, as you say, to to work with a new coach and maybe put some things in place for the rest of the season. I think, obviously, if you're the coach and you try and get players back, maybe you'd be, you just maybe want the break just to, to have the extra bit of time, but it's a good opportunity. And I think, especially for those that, 
will be making their debut. I think Zinkenegel is able to play in that game. Um, and the potential return of someone like Will Hughes might may, might be at a level where he can participate from the beginning. It, it could be a good opportunity just to kind of get some get some momentum and a little bit of confidence going into the rest of the season. It doesn't necessarily have to be a win. I think just having a good performance could be enough of a boost. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It's about going there and, and coming away not too dispirited. I mean, a lot has been made of the fact they've they've at the time of, of of recording gone level with Liverpool on points and they're, they're just behind them on goal difference. You know they 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 are they are fallible United as well. Let's let's not make make out that they're uh, you know they're suddenly over everything. They're going to presumably make changes. They've got the Man City match in the League Cup uh, just prior, and then they've got Premier League action on the Tuesday and then the following weekend it's Liverpool away so you know it's probably their lowest priority match in a in a very congested period I suspect you know to the point that we might even see the likes of Odi and Agarlo play for them so there's there's no reason why we um, you know we can't go there and you know perhaps land a few uh, blows on them but what I think we have to do is is take any chances that we do create and because we're you know already quite as we've discussed quite shy when it comes to creating chances and you don't get many when you go away to a Premier League side and particularly one that's in form. So I think the, the priority is to come away not feeling too dispirited and, and try and keep the, the positivity around the Chisco rain uh, rolling, really. It's difficult, isn't it, when you just want to, you want to kind of get back to, you always want to just go straight back to league football and try and yeah. try and do undo this this feeling from this result and you kind of want to have that opportunity. It's one of the nice things about the championship is in the Premier League, it felt like there was so so long between games to write up a performance and it, it just became, it's a, very, it's a very tiring way of being a football fan. I think being able to just go at it again on the Tuesday and Saturday is quite a nice feeling. So to be without that, it's a little bit frustrating. Hey, good stuff. Thanks both to Tom and Jordan. That's it for another episode of the Watford Buzz podcast. We'll be back after that Manchester United game to review the highs and lows and also chat a bit more about transfer business, if any has been done. If not, we might just add another name into the hat for the Watford scouting team to look at. Before we go, though, just to give you a nod into the direction of Boreham Wood, Watford's nearby neighbours, who have a big FA Cup game themselves, which happily enough doesn't clash with Watford. So if you're not doing much at 12 o'clock on the day of the Man United-Watford game, check out Boreham Wood versus Millwall. I'm sure it's going to be a feisty Okay, that just leaves me to say Happy New Year to all of you. I'm sorry that 2021 didn't start out the way that we wanted it to, but at least we got to see a more spirited Watford performance than we saw for, let's face it, the majority of 2020, albeit just for the start and end of that game. But hopefully more to come in the following fixtures under Cisco Monuf. So from Tom, Jordan and myself, we'll see you next time and Happy New Year. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 